John chapter 6 and verse 22. John chapter 6 and verse 22. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one wherein his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Now, the context here is the day following the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. The people are puzzled as to the Lord's whereabouts. They cannot find him on their side of the Sea of Galilee. Yet they knew that he had not set sail with his disciples across the Sea of Galilee. The people are located on the more thinly populated eastern side of the lake. They are anxious to find the man who had fed them so wonderfully well the day before, because this is the man they desire to be their new king. Now we're told in verse 23, howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. Those who owned boats and who were from Tiberias, which was on the western bank of the Sea of Galilee, realise that there are many people on the eastern banks who will need to be ferried back to their homes on the western shores. So, perceiving an opportunity for business, they sail over to where the crowds of people are in order to take them back. Verse 24. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. So the crowds embark into boats to head for Capernaum, which was at the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. This was the town uh, which the Lord had made his base. Verse 25, And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? The people were mystified as to how the Lord had managed to reach Capernaum. They had not seen him take the road in the early morning light and walk all the way around the lake. And they knew 
that he had not sailed over the lake with his disciples. So how did he reach Capernaum? Verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, the feeding of the 5,000 the day before, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. So the Lord now rebukes the crowds because he knows that the people are following him for the wrong reasons. Many of them were doubtless poor and are not used to eating particularly well. And they had probably never known quite such a nutritious and satisfying filling as the loaves and the fishes which had been given to them the day before. But they are now following the Lord, hoping to enjoy another such feast. They are going to him to receive more material food from his hands. And also because they hope that he will be a great earthly king who will bring prosperity to the nation. They are not following him, however, for the good of their souls. And the Lord knows this. And in this they are typical of every non-believer today, failing to think about the most urgent matter of all, totally focused upon this temporary world, failing to think about their relationship to their maker. So the Lord says to them in verse 27, Labour not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Now, the word meat here in verse 27 is used in the context of food generally. The Lord tells them that they must not just be preoccupied with their bodily needs and with the other passing things of this world. They need spiritual food as well. People today must likewise realise this truth, but most do not. They are preoccupied with this world. The secular establishment, along, sadly, with many churches, speak much of the need to deal with social conditions to improve everyone's material lot. But few are concerned about their desperate spiritual poverty. And they are not concerned about the eternal consequences of their spiritual poverty. All without Jesus Christ are dying from spiritual starvation. 
because all men are sinful and alienated from God. The Lord, however, has not made it difficult for men to believe. In his grace, he draws people to himself using simple, straightforward means. There is the witness of the natural world all around us. That is God speaking. People are meant to observe the creation and conclude that there must be a creator God behind it all. And there is, of course, the work of the Holy Spirit upon people's consciences, moving them to consider their own sin and that they are answerable to God. And then, of course, there is the most direct and straightforward method of all, the preaching of the gospel, whereby God draws men to put their faith in the Saviour. Very many people, however, ignore these straightforward and relatively painless means of coming to God. Therefore, God has other means, far more rigorous and unpleasant. He can remove people's earthly comforts. He can remove all the various material supports on which they rely for their happiness in their God-rejecting lives. The Lord can remove the prosperity and general well-being of a society which makes it so easy for men to forget about God. The Lord can afflict whole nations by the removal of peace, security and economic prosperity. He can chastise people in whatever way he chooses. And so all who ignore him and think only in terms of this present world should stop and consider the counsel given here in this verse 27. Labour not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. The Lord is saying, Stop focusing only on the present and on the material. Think about the spiritual food which you need. As our Lord states in the Sermon on the Mount, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these other material things shall be added unto you. Verse 28, then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? So being confronted with the issue of everlasting life, which the Lord has just brought up in the previous verse, the crowd immediately thinks in terms of works, which they have to do to merit the prize. 
What shall we do that we might work the works of God? What aspect of the law of Moses should they in particular attend to? That's the kind of thought that they are having. There certainly seems to be no anxiety on the people's part that the demands of God's law will be far too high for them ever to meet them. They do not appear to have any anxiety about having hopelessly broken the commandments of God already. This is doubtless indicative of the poor teaching which they have been receiving. They seem unaware of their own awful sinfulness. They simply ask, what work shall we do? Well, what do we have to do in order to get to heaven? And they seem to have a false confidence in their ability to keep God's law, as many have today. They're not worried about their sin. They think they are quite good people. Many rely on their own works, their own imagined goodness, which can never save them. So the Lord has to point them away from their man-pleasing, pride-inducing works. He has to point them to faith in himself. The people are outwardly religious. But this has made them confident, confident in themselves. They do not realise the true state of their own hearts. And so by this question in verse 28, they think that some further outward religious performance will make them acceptable to God. What do we have to do and we'll do it no awareness of their spiritual inability verse 29 Jesus answered and said unto them this is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent so the Lord explains that what God requires the people to do for salvation is to believe on him and to believe on him as humble sinners repenting from the heart. Nothing can earn a man a place in heaven. No rigours of monastic discipline, no great charitable deed, no religious rites and rituals, no conformity to society's standards of virtue. The people must abandon all thoughts of their own goodness. Their own pathetic works or shows of outward goodness are not what is necessary. What the people need is the meat which endureth unto everlasting life. What the people need, as we see in verse 27, is that spiritual food. 
they must trust in the Son of God for mercy. And he will then give them the true spiritual meat, spiritual nourishment, whereby they might live. Verse 30. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Now here we further see the very poor spiritual condition that these people are in. They have already witnessed the Lord's healing miracles. They have just the previous day witnessed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. They have heard the Lord's authoritative teaching. But that is not enough. They still demand to see yet greater signs of his authority. Their hardness of heart makes them think that the Lord has not yet done enough to convince them. If they are going to believe, it must be on their terms and not according to the revelation which God has already given. We are reminded of what the Lord said on another occasion. Matthew 12, verse 39. An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. They are demanding to see greater miracles. That was indicative of an evil and an adulterous heart. But this is so typical of many non-believers today. I do not have enough evidence, they say, to justify their unbelief. So this is how the Lord responds to that request to see an even greater sign and miracle. Verse 31. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. This is the crowd speaking and they are expressing to the Lord the type of miracle they want to see. So the people are saying to the Lord, you may have multiplied five loaves and two fishes into a meal large enough to feed thousands, but you have not performed any miracle the like of which Moses performed, who gave the Israelites the manna in the wilderness. So verse 31 uh, is a further evidence of the people's hardened hearts, demanding of the Lord that they do what Moses did. And so they are saying effectively to the Lord, Lord, you have not caused bread to rain down from heaven every day. They are missing the Lord's point entirely. They are still thinking about literal food. Even though the Lord has specifically spoken of the meat that endureth unto everlasting life. 
And so the people are saying, show us a miracle which brings down literal loaves from the sky and then we might believe in you. So what is the Lord's response? Verse 32. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. The Lord replies then that it was not Moses, of course, who provided the manna to the Israelites, but God himself. Furthermore, the manna which they received in the wilderness was not the true bread from heaven. It was merely a type, a symbol, which foreshadowed the true and ultimate bread from heaven. The Lord wants the people to focus upon bread which feeds the soul. And so that is what he means by the true bread from heaven, which the physical manner merely represented. Now the manna in the wilderness was a wonderful food which nourished Israel for 40 years. It was food the like of which men had never seen before. It was nothing less than the miraculous creation of God. Nevertheless, it was still only literal, physical food for the temporary sustaining of the body. It was not the spiritual food, the spiritual meat of which the Lord is now speaking. It was not the true bread from heaven. It was only a symbol of the true spiritual food which confirms everlasting life. So the Lord says, I am now speaking of a bread which makes you live forever. That's the bread I want you to be concerned about. And it is my Father who gives you this true bread from heaven. This is what you need, but you're focused upon material bread for your body. You should be following me for the true bread. But how slow they are to understand. The Lord continues in verse 33, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And so... God the Father has spiritual bread to give you in one whom he has sent into the world. One who has come down from heaven. And that one who has come down from heaven to give men the spiritual food they need is standing in front of them now. Verse 34, this this is how the people respond. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Still, it appears 
that the crowd do not understand properly what the Lord is saying. They are still only thinking in terms of physical food, albeit food with some kind of special life-sustaining properties. But they are, even at this stage, not expressing any genuine desire to know God and be saved by God. We know this because we find them rejecting the Lord's spiritual meaning further on. If we just move on to verse 41, we read, The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. The people at this time had a very earthly and sensual view of the kingdom of God. They believed that when the Messiah came, an earthly kingdom of Israel would be established and that it would be a time of great physical feasting. And so it is in that context of an earthly focus and benefit that they say, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And so they are very slow to apprehend the spiritual truth behind the Lord's words. Verse 35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And so, having explained men's great need for spiritual food, the Lord now specifically identifies that food. That food is he himself. He is the bread of life. He is the spiritual bread which, if eaten, confers everlasting life. If men wish to live forevermore, they must come to Jesus Christ. Which means that they must acknowledge their personal lack of any goodness before God and they must acknowledge because of their sin that they are spiritually starving. They are dying of a spiritual thirst. They must abandon all reliance upon their own works. They must turn to Christ, who is the only Saviour. They must, spiritually speaking, eat of Christ, the bread of life. For he died in the sinner's place. And he bore the sinner's penalty. Just as the Israelites in Egypt ate unleavened bread and so were redeemed from their slavery, so those who eat of Christ are redeemed from their slavery to sin and to Satan. Now, the miraculous feeding of the people had been a sign to lead them into spiritual truth. 
but they had failed to use it as such. Now the feeding of the 5,000 was performed in the context of compassion for sheep without a shepherd. In the context of compassion by the Lord for those who are spiritually starving. So we should never view that wonderful miracle as simply demonstrating how the Lord uh, had a caring nature for those who were short of food. That is not the true significance of the miracle. Simply to regard that miracle as the Lord uh, engaging in helping those who are poor would be to miss so much. The whole point of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is to lead men to faith in the Son of God for salvation and eternal life. That is the point of the miracle. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who alone can remove men's spiritual hunger and thirst. And this miracle continues to be a a challenge to every non-Christian today. Do you realise that the one who transformed the five loaves and two fishes into enough food to feed a multitude was proving himself to be the eternal Son of God and the only Saviour. And by that miracle of transforming those five loaves and two fishes, the Son of God was showing that he is the creator of the earth. He is the one who gives men their daily earthly food right now. He is the one who is sustaining all human life. But even more importantly, he is the one who gives men spiritual life. These verses and the the way that people respond to the Lord teach us much about the non-believer's wretched spiritual inadequacy. We observe here men's failure to realise their spiritual need. Their failure to listen to God's voice. Their misplaced confidence in their own virtue. Their unjustified demands for further evidence. Their failure to recognise their spiritual thirst and spiritual hunger. The only way that the non-Christian can be rescued from his dangerous spiritual inadequacy is for him to acknowledge his spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst. He must come in repentance and faith to him who is the bread of life. He who alone 
can feed him so that he will live forevermore. So what is the message of the feeding of the 5,000? It is come to Jesus Christ for spiritual food and spiritual sustenance which leads to everlasting life. This is the message we have to proclaim to the world today. Do not focus solely upon your bodily needs and your earthly existence. Which takes us back to verse 27. Labour not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. You see, the world out there are just focused only upon this world and their material conditions. They need to labour for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. Because they are spiritually starving. They need the food which will prevent them from dying eternally. They need to come to Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life, who alone can give them the meat which endureth unto everlasting life. What is the purpose of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000? It is that sinners must come to the bread of life to be spiritually fed, that they might live forevermore. Amen.